Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for who You are. Thank You for Your goodness. And over the last uh, several weeks, we have learned that the Bible says You are good. It's more than a church cliché. It's more than a bumper sticker slogan. It's truth. And yet, it's a truth that we often uh, overlook, take for granted, never take the time to uh, allow the implications and the significance of this truth to penetrate our hearts and lives. And so we thank you for what you've been teaching us these past several weeks. And as we open up your word once again, we ask that uh, through the Holy Spirit, you would speak truth through your word. And not only uh, would we hear it, but Lord, you would bring uh, practical application. And in the obedience to your word, uh, we would experience transformation. We would experience salvation and sanctification. So, Father, we love you. We love your word. And I uh, ask you now to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. For the last almost two months, we have been on the series on God's goodness. God's goodness. Again, we start every Sunday together. God is good. And all the time. Right? And, and again, uh, there's, there's a, a quote that I, I came across that, that really challenged me uh, in all the years. Not only have I been walking with the Lord, but even as a pastor. And, and, and the phrase is this. Don't confuse familiarity with understanding. Don't confuse familiarity with understanding, which means God is good and all the time. How many of you are real familiar with that? How many of you understand it? Ah. See, sometimes in church, we, we, we memorize verses, nothing wrong with mem- memorize verses, and, and, and we get these little truths. And we say them over and over and over, and we, we become very familiar with them, but we don't really understand them. We don't take the time to reflect, to study, to meditate, to ask God to say, bring this truth home to my life. We sort of live at this level of, oh, I'm familiar with that. Oh, I've heard that. But we don't allow it to penetrate into our belief structure, into our heart, into the core of our being. And that's why, you know, part eight on the goodness of God, and I feel like we're still scratching the surface, because what would really happen in your life and in my life if we understood at the core of our being that God is good and all the time, right, that he's good in his essence, he's the very source of goodness in the universe. Any goodness, anything good in a person or good on this planet, any goodness you see, trace that all the way back to Him and then multiply it by infinity. God is good in His essence. He is good. Not behavior-wise. He is good. And then then Psalm 119, 8, 68, you don't have to turn, it says, you are good and what you do is good. So out of His essence... Out of his goodness, his being, he does good. And we've been learning just these incredible truths 
that, that as his child, when you put your faith in Christ and you enter into a covenant relationship with God, right, that that goodness takes on even more special meaning, right? We've seen that there is common good, right? I shared with you the, uh, the truth that, that God is good uh, to all, right? But then to some, he's good in all ways. As his child, we've, we've been claiming and we've been looking at scriptures, these, these truths, right? And you see in your outline there, our priorities. He says, hey, in my goodness, I know what you need. I know what you need. So quit putting your values and, 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 and your energies into the things of the world, but seek me first, right? We talked about how in, if we understood God's goodness, it would affect our priorities. And you're like, well, how can I really be honest about what the priorities in my life are? Two ways. Look at your checkbook and your calendar. If you really want to know what your priorities are, Look at your calendar, your daytime, or however you do it, and look at your expense report. That will reveal your priorities. And so we saw, hey, you know what? If I understand the goodness of God, He says, seek me first. I know what you need. He says, quit acting like the pagans, people who don't know God. Quit running around. I'm your heavenly Father. I know your needs. Put me first, right? And then we looked at the other one. It says prayer, right? He says, hey, I'm a good God. I'm the best father ever. When you come to me, are you coming based on the truth of my goodness? Or do you come to prayer begging? Do you come to, to prayer like hoping that God isn't too busy for you? Or do you come to prayer, are you drawn to prayer because God is good? And in His goodness, not only does He know what you need, in His goodness, He wants to give you good things. Amen? Really? Really? See, one of the things that's happened, I've seen it from my perspective, if you can all see it. When, I've, when, when we've learned what Scripture has said and I say something and it resonates with you about God's goodness, you know what happens, how I know it goes from here to here? You do this. Right? He knows my needs, so I don't have to be so anxious and worried. Really? That he's so good? He says, don't worry three times, and so I can just seek him first? Really? I don't have to worry? And when I come to prayer, he's so good that he, he wants to give me good things, so I can come to him with confidence and peace as a heavenly father? You mean that's how I'm supposed to approach prayer? See, that's the great thing. Because I get to see when God speaks to your hearts. And, and for some of you, you don't even know you're smiling. See, right now, some of you are smiling like, oh, really? <laughs> and then last Sunday, perseverance, right? We saw in Romans 8:28. In His goodness for His children, all things work together for good to those who love Him or are called according to His purpose. So we said in the Greek, all means all. So here's a profound, deep, penetrating scripture, Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? Because he, he wants to bring us to the image of his son, Romans 8, 29. All things in your life, all things in my life, as a child of God, God works it for what? The good. Does it mean that all things are good? No. 
Anybody have a not good thing happen this week? Okay, yup, right? <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Because I had a not good thing happen, and, and yet I had to catch myself because I caught myself going down the human reaction to this not good thing, right? We were dealing with this, uh, this company and just were trying to get a hold of customer service. Right? And so you, you start the Christian way. Oh, I'm just on hold. Right? After a while, oh, I'm busy. I'll, I'll call back later. So you start nice. And, oh, I'll just try it. Day two. I don't think anyone's there. I, get this, I push the same button and it just goes to the music. I don't think anyone's there. They don't even give the hours. Mm, I'll try tomorrow. Nobody's there. I go on the website. Every alternative number leads back to the music. The music. The music. And so I I decided I'm going to try a different route. Because that was for existing accounts. But number one was for new business. I like, you know what? I bet someone's going to pick up if they think I'm going to spend money. So I pushed one. Hello? Hey! And I was nice. You know, God, all things work for the good, Pastor Richie. It's not their fault. I'm working this for your good. Right? Big test. Because this was like five days into it, being on hold repeatedly. Finally, I'm like, Lord, help me. What do I do? Push one. Okay. So I'm talking, hey, can you help me out? I've been trying... Yeah, yeah, we just want to cancel this thing. And I mean, can you help me? Oh, I can help you with that. And we took care of it right there. Happens to be that she's sales and service. But, you know, they, they were kind of sneaky. You know, they make it difficult to cancel. But through that, I'll be honest with you. It sounds kind of trivial, but, man, I had to catch myself. Because, man, the temperature was rising. This was not a good situation. I come home. Kids and pets are scurrying away because dad's not in a good mood. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh! And, 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 and in the midst of this, I just taught Romans 8.28. All things work for the good. I'm like, ah! 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 Right? So I, I, I don't see the good in this. I just want to cancel. And they've intentionally made this impossible. You know, and, and it was a good growth experience for me because what it taught me was it really taught me to catch myself in my reaction. Because when this bad thing happened, this not good thing happened, I immediately went into how I react. My, I just reacted. I started to react. And my emotions and my angst and my anger and my impatience, it just started to go like this. And then Romans 8.20, hey, all things work for the good. You see? That was much more powerful than my wife trying to calm me down. Ooh. Because we know how that goes, right? Oh, honey. So she just learned. Lord, you speak to him. (laughs) I'm not going there. All things work for the good, right? And so we've been learning this goodness of God, goodness of God, goodness of God. And my prayer for you is that you'll begin to see God in His goodness. 
powerful quote five years ago when we were looking at the attributes of God. It said, show me someone's view of God and I'll show you how they live their life. What's your view of God? You affirm His power. You affirm His, his presence. You affirm a lot. Do you see Him as a good God who wants your good all the time? What does that mean? What does that mean that there's somebody in your corner right now pulling, pushing, desiring your good? That's the God we love. Amen? You think a lot of us is like are living your Christian life because you're afraid that God's just waiting for you to mess up. Again. Right, Ernie? Right. See? Oh, no. How radical. How radical to go, oh, wait, God is good all the time. Wait, He wants my good? Yeah. All the time. All the time. Right? And yet, this morning, we have to be careful about God's goodness. Because it can turn in our flesh. We can turn God's goodness into something it wasn't even intended to be. Right? So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God is speaking to the Israelites before they get into the promised land. He's giving them a warning. Deuteronomy 8. Starting in verse 6. It's going to be a long passage, but uh, it's important that we understand the heart of this. Deuteronomy 8.6 Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Wow. He says, hey, I'm taking you to a really good place and I'm going to bless your socks off. It's the promised land. But, verse 11, be careful you do not forget the Lord your God. And when you do, you're going to start failing to observe His commands, His laws, right? Verse 14, 
Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I, I shared this with the worship team this morning. Someone says, the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. So he says, hey, I'm a good God and I'm taking you to the promised land. But be very careful. Because when you're enjoying my abundance, when you're enjoying prosperity, when you're comfortable, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be tempted to forget me. And not only are you going to be tempted to forget me, you're going to start to think that it's all about you. That it's all about what you did. Your hard work, your strengths, your money, your skills. And then you're going to have a problem at the heart level. And that's, that's kind of the heart of, of, of where we're going today. Because quite honestly, guys, compared to much of the planet, you live in the promised land. We live in the promised land. I read Deuteronomy 8, and I'm like, that's us! That's us! Our fridges are full. We got so many clothes, they don't fit in all our drawers. We live in the promised land. And, and, and God, I believe, says the same thing to us. In my goodness, when I bless you, don't forget me. Don't forget me. And don't become proud. Don't begin to think that it's all because of your hard work and everything you did. And you're where you are today because of you. No, 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 no. What does Deuteronomy 8.18 say? It's God who gave you the ability to make wealth. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have, what do I have that we have not received? That's humbling. What do you have, what do I have in my life that you have not received? Answer, nothing. And God says, hey, don't turn my goodness into a self-centered, selfish, please, please me God thing. Because then your heart's going to turn. And when your heart turns, quite honestly, it's going to play out in your life. It's going to play out in your life. And so very subtly, God's goodness can become a trap. If we don't stay focused. If we don't even take heed to His truth, right? And so it kind of goes to, to the issue of, of motive, issue of heart, right? And, and in your notes there at the bottom, you know, another P in our, you know, there's priorities, prayer, perseverance. As I was thinking about God's goodness and, and, and Deuteronomy uh, 8, question for us today. In light of the truth of God's goodness, are you passionate for the giver and not just the gifts? Do you love and want to know God for who He is? Not just for what we get from Him. Okay, now think about that. Are you passionate for the giver and not just the gifts? A more blunt way to say it, take it the right way. Do you love God or are you just using Him? See, we've heard stories sometimes 
uh, maybe in the world of celebrity where, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? They got married, but it's just she just married him for the money. You've heard that kind of thing before, right? Nobody here likes to be used. What more God? You ever have a relationship where someone just seems to be coming around and you're like, I think they're just using me. I don't think they really want a friendship. I'm not even sure they really like me. I just am sensing that they're using me. And we all get that kind of weird vibe that like, I don't like this. I don't like I don't like feeling like I'm being used. I feel like they're this person's being insincere. I I feel like they're just buttering me up and, and it's all designed. They come to me with an agenda. And it starts out really nice, and they, they say they care about me, and they, they pretend that they're interested, but it always gets around to where I, they want something. I'm not sure they really love me or like me. They just want to use me. And how many of us, if we're not careful, in our relationship with God, slide into, Lord, what... What are you going to give me today? What are you going to give me today? Are we, are we pursuing the giver and not just the gifts? Are we pursuing the giver and not just the gifts? I was a, a young believer way back uh, late 80s, early 90s. Back when uh, multi-level marketing was all the rage. And uh, people would invite you to presentations about how you could benefit from joining this multi-level marketing. And I won't mention any companies. But I sat through out of respect and out of, I, I went to one because, you know, it was, it was just necessary. Courtesy, respect, relationship. I kind of knew what it was about. And so the presentation begins, and it's all about all these benefits we're going to receive as part of this multi-level marketing plan. And then, see, I was kind of a young believer, so I was like early in the sanctification, so God was still working on my temper. Because partway through the presentation, the word God started to be used a lot. Very Christianese presentation. And I'm sitting there because the person presenting up to that point, I hadn't seen them as a really God loving person who walked with Jesus 24 7. You understand what I'm saying? Suddenly, their vocabulary changed because they became involved with multi, this multi level. And I'm like sitting there, and my temperature just like, oh God, please help me. Please help me. And so, you know, they go through the whole thing. And trying to be nice. But I couldn't. So <laughs> So at the very end, I just I just popped off. I just I just I just popped off. I said, Hey man, don't use God. It didn't go over very well. Didn't, didn't go over very well. 
and I was just, I just I got to the point where I was so frustrated and I, and, I, and I felt so upset inside because God was being used in multi-level marketing. It had nothing to do with uh, sin. It had nothing to do with forgiveness. It had nothing to do with walking in the Holy Spirit. It had everything to do with God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. God, 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 God. And I'm like, don't use God. Don't use Him that way. And, 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 and I was like, oh. You know, and then, of course, I had to ask forgiveness for that outburst. But I was just so upset that this whole business plan came across that it's all about what you're going to get. And so, you know, you, you put the veneer of God on it. And somehow that's the stamp of approval and off you go. It even got so bad another day at church. At church. I kid you not. After church, we was a new church we were attending. And you know, you're kind of a newbie, so you know. So a guy comes up to me. Says, hey, how you doing? I think he genuinely likes me. I think he genuinely wants to get to know me as a new person at the church, right? Hands me a card. It's an invitation to multi-level marketing presentation. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy is using church. Now he's going around meeting and greeting people, handing out his cards for his multi-level marketing pyramid at church. But coming across like, hey, hey, good to see you, man. Good to see you. Hey, just glad you're here. Glad you're here. Hey, by the way, here you go. Love to get together and chat. I'm like, really? Really? You're using, using church? Using God's people for you? For you? And, and if we're not careful, we have to really ask ourselves, well, what's our motive? What's our motive? What, what's your motive for being here today? What's your motive? What's my motive? You know, before I put a, a, a PowerPoint in, and we ask the question, why are you here? Why am I here? Why did you come today? Was it for the sake of worshiping and loving the giver? Or was it because you were going to get something? And, and, and it's, a, it's a real question because if we're not open to asking ourselves these heart-level questions, we can begin to deceive ourselves and slide down these paths And all of a sudden, God's goodness is all about what's the next good thing He's going to do for me. And worshiping Him and loving Him completely are gone. And so the question is, why are you here today? Why am I here? Is it because I want to love and know the giver more? Or is it because I want to, I need something. It's what I'm going to get. See? The goodness of God, if we're not careful, can get twisted. Turn to John 6, and let's look at this, where Jesus exposes the heart condition of some people who, who come to follow Him, come, come to, you know, have a conversation with Him. Matthew, uh, John 6. John 6. The context of where we're going to pick up is Jesus has healed the sick and he's just fed the 5,000. Okay? 
So 5,000 says 5,000 men, so there might have been more than 5,000. But the miracle of the loaves and fishes, right? That's just happened, right? Jesus crosses over from where that happens. He crosses over to the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, okay? And some people who were, were at the miracle of the 5,000, the feeding, they wake up the next day and say, hey, where'd he go? And they figure out he's at Capernaum, so they get in boats, and they cross the Sea of Galilee, and they, they meet up with Jesus at Capernaum, okay? But the day before, he had just fed the 5,000 miracle, okay? So we're going to pick up in John 6, 25. John 6, 25. All right, so let's start in 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, the signs that he's talking about, the loaves and fishes and healing the sick, those signs were designed for someone to see that and go, Whoa! This is the Messiah. The signs were designed to point the people to who he is. Okay? He's saying, hey, you're not here because of me. You're here because I met a physical need of yours. He's saying, I know your motive. I know your motive. You just want more food. You're not coming here because you're like, oh, Jesus, those signs, you're the Messiah. Oh, we love you. Oh, you are the Messiah. It's not about you, 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 you. No, they're all about, give us some more bread. He calls them out on their motive. Jeremiah 17, 9, don't have to turn there, says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. I, the Lord, search the heart. See, here's the thing, guys. He knows your motives. He knows my motive. And he says to these people, hey, you're not coming in response to be being Messiah. You're not coming in response to who I am and my character. You're coming in response because you want something. I'm calling you out on your motive. You know? And for us, in light of the goodness of God, are we passionately following the giver or is it just more about the gifts? And it's, it's, it's a penetrating question because as it says in Jeremiah, our hearts, we can be deceived. We can be deceived, right? And in verse 27, it says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. He says, hey, you know what? You're coming to me, and your motive is temporal and physical. Don't focus on the temporal and the physical. Focus on eternal and spiritual. That's what verse 27 is. Change your focus. I'm calling you all right now. You came to me because your physical need was met, and you're caught up in what I can do for you on this planet right now. Say, like change your focus. Look to eternity and look to spiritual needs. And you're like, 
can that really happen to me? Can, it, can that even happen to a church? Can a church as a whole focus more on the gifts than the giver? Can the church as a whole forget God? Can the church as a whole become complacent and proud and be all about us and us and us instead of worshiping Him? Can a church do that? It can. Let's turn to Revelation. Let's look what look at a church in the Bible did this. And they got called out. Turn to Revelation 3. Revelation 3.14 To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say... I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. What's happened? It's all about them. Hey, because our physical needs are met, because we live in the promised land in Ojai and we got all our cars and our jobs and we're comfortable, we don't need a thing. We're good to go. That's what, right? This church as a whole is like, we're good to go. And look what he says here. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What? I thought we were good to go. I thought all your material blessings, all the stuff I have in my house, I thought that just indicated that I was right with you, God. Isn't it? You see, because they they were blessed, they had a heart problem. And their heart problem was, They focused on the gifts and not the giver. They were blind. We all got blindsided. And look what he says. Let me help you out with your true condition. Let me help you out. Look what he says. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now that's a message that will fill up the pews, won't it? That's a woohoo! That's a come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. No. No. You know why? He's saying, I love you so much, I'm going to discipline you. I love you so much, I'm going to call you and tell you the truth. You are now blind, and your spiritual condition can be described as wretched, naked, poor, and blind. Ugh. But here's the good thing. Okay, let's keep reading. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. Hey, come, come, come back to me. Quit looking for the world. Quit looking for the, the externals. Come, come to me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and sobs to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I what? Love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So, he says this. Hey, church, is it more about the giver or about the gifts? He says, hey, church of Laodicea, you're caught up in the gifts. 
In fact, your heart is so is so wretched, naked, blind, and poor that I'm calling you out because I love you. I love you. And that verse, I've done it before, right? He's talking to a church. And he says, hey, repent, church, because right now I'm out here. Can I come in? No, we're good. See you later, Jesus. See, that's, that's what's happening in Revelation. It's not an evangelistic. People use that. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. It's not that. Jesus is saying, hey, church of Laodicea, you lost sight of the giver. And you're caught up in the gifts. And those gifts have turned you into naked, wretched, poor, blind. And I'm standing outside the door. See, they allowed the goodness of God to be flipped and to become about them. To become about them. And, and so the question for us this morning is, what is our motive? What is our motive? Are we loving God passionately? Are we just following Jesus because of who He is? Or is it about what we get? Are we just kind of using Him in the same way that we, we kind of feel like people use us? See, He wants us just to, just to love Him, just to passionately follow Him. And here, here's the crazy thing. Sometimes we even, we even get this idea that, that, that we're just supposed to be walking with Jesus and we accumulate things. We accumulate things. And then, and then we wonder why, where's the joy? I see people sometimes with joy and walking with Jesus. Where's the joy? I said that prayer and, and, and I asked God for things and I pray, but I don't have this joy that so-and-so has. Where's the joy? Well, sometimes it's because we misinterpret the whole point of Christianity, which is to be in covenant with God and just walk with Him daily. We turn it into, well, if I do this, this, and this, I get this, this, and this. And it becomes contractual. The goodness of God is designed to draw us into a loving, passionate relationship with Him. Amen? Including eternal life. See, here's the thing. Unfortunately, in the church, we sort of have presented eternal life as the ultimate gift. Say a prayer, put your faith in Jesus, and you get something. You understand what I'm saying? And so once we say the prayer, and now we've got eternal life in our bag, now we're just supposed to go do our thing. Is eternal life separate? Is the gift and the giver separate? They're not. Turn to John 17.3. And this is my prayer as we close with these final verses that perhaps for some here you'll go, Oh, I get it. I get it. The gift and the giver are the same. Look at John 17.3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Hmm. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I thought eternal life just meant endless existence. I thought eternal life was just quantity. I thought eternal life started when I die. Anyone? Look at 17.3. He defines, God defines eternal life. What does it say? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ to you you have sent. What is eternal life? Relationship. That word know is gnosko. It means intimate, personal relationship, like husband and wife intimacy. Eternal life is not just quantity. It is a quality of life. It is a quality of life. That's why when you put your faith in Jesus and you enter into a covenant relationship with God, you have eternal life right now. You have eternal life right now because you know Him and He knows you. Amen? It is a quality of life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that you would have it, what? Abundantly. Eternal life is now. It is a qualitative truth. It is not a quantity. Because how many of you, when you think of eternal life in terms of numbers, it's boring. We're going to be in heaven and we're going to play harps. It's just like the never-ending church service. Huh? When you think of eternity in terms of numbers and quantity, you get bored. What are we going to do? Float on clouds. When you think of eternity as right now, in knowing Jesus and Him knowing you, your life can change. Because now you have eternal life. It's qualitative. The Holy Spirit in you. You're walking with Him right now. Eternal life is knowing God. Amen? That's eternal life, is knowing Him. Now. Right now. So here's the radical thing. The giver and the gift become one. You know Him. You're living it right now. And sure, you know you're going to live forever in heaven, but it's right now. The question is, have you compartmentalized the two? And are you even more focused on the gifts? This morning, He says, this is eternal life, that you may know Do you know Him? Not just about Him. Do you know Him? Gnosko. Intimate, personal relationship. Do you know Him? See, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Here it is. And this life is in His Son. Here it is. He who has the Son has life. Present right now. You have life eternal right now if you know Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Or did it become somewhere along the line about what you can get from Him? How you can use Him? What you get in return? for serving and giving and coming on Sunday morning? Is it contractual? Is it an arranged marriage? Did you marry him just for his wealth? Or do you know him? 
Do you know him? Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And when you get there and you open yourself up and you say, Jesus, I just want to know you and I want you to know me. You know what happens to your life? Qualitative supernatural transformation. Your whole worldview changes. Because you're walking in the goodness of God with the good God 24-7. Amen? That's what it is. And we'll close with Jeremiah 9. Go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 9, 23. Susan, you and Robert can come on up. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. Jeremiah 9.23, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. That word knows is the Old Testament equivalent of intimate personal, close relationship. He says, you know what? All your money, you know what? All your education, you know what? All your smarts, you know, all your gifts, you know, everything that you hang your hat on externally. It's not about that, man. He says, let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and is in a close, personal, intimate relationship with me. You boast about that. You boast about that. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we come to you this morning. You told the Israelites when they entered the promised land not to forget you. Not to forget you in their land of plentiful, in their blessings, in their prosperity, not to forget you. You told the church at Laodicea, hey, you're all consumed with your comfort and your materialism. You think, you think you're good to go, but really you're, you're wretched. I'm standing outside. Can I come in? <sighs> Father, we just open our, our hearts to you. It says you search the heart. And so would you, would you lovingly, in your goodness, be truthful to us? Have, have we elevated the gifts over the giver? Have we been using you? <sighs> Do we know you, Jesus? You say in John seventeen three, this is eternal life, to know you. To know you. You are the gift. You are the giver. Do we know you? Do we know you? And so, as we prepare for communion, Jesus, we open our hearts to a time of confession and repentance. And we come back to you. Forgive us for using you for our own selfish needs.
wants. And help us to turn from that and to simply desire to know you, to walk with you, to passionately love you. First, with our whole being. To rest in who you are. In your goodness. So forgive us. And you're here and, and you're not sure you've ever known Jesus. Maybe you've been in church for many years, but you're not sure you even know him in the way that the Bible has spoken of. Then just talk to Him. Just pour out your heart and say, I want to know you, Jesus. I want gnosko, intimate, personal, close relationship with you, Jesus. I understand and I believe what you did for me at Calvary. I understand you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I just don't want to spout doctrine. I want to know you. I want to know you. So Jesus, I open my heart to you, to know you and to be known by you. First John 2, <clears throat> 3 says this, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Van, you can come up. I just want to share my heart with you before we, before we close. If you're around here uh, for any length of time, you know that we're sold out to Scripture and we're sold out to um, shepherding and, and loving you guys dearly. And you'll often, um, well, all the time you'll hear us say, well, what would God have you to do? And what does the Bible say? And I, I just want you to know that, that the heart behind that is we just want you to know Jesus. We just want you to know Jesus. It's not that we're legalistic or heavy-handed, anything like that. First John 2 says, If you know Him, you'll obey Him. John 14, If you love me, obey me. Right, Jesus said. So, so our heart around here, guys, just so you know, we want you to know love. We want you to know God passionately. We want you to love God passionately. That's all that we're about here. At the core, that's really what we're all about, is to come alongside you, and help you to know and love Him more and more. Amen?